anything with words, once they were the word involved in it. it. Yeah, man. Yeah. Once something was written, mm -hmm. I'm reading it. Mm -hmm. when, you see, when you see the machete, I see made in Great Britain. And you see a ratchet, I see a copy made in South Africa. So my Trenchtown ghetto experience gave me, you know, the, in, the, 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 the ammunition, the, the material with which I could then share comedy. And that began the comedy route. One boy said, Miss, we blacker, him blacker. That became my name, I embraced it. He never knew, but it was blackest. Oliver Samuels, respect and honor, man. You open doors to other people. Lab Jamaica broke every record. I think Fancy Cat also broke records, you know what I mean? I think Fancy Cat did 10 seasons, 10 years on TV. That had never happened before. I walked into my own nine-eyes. <laughs> Listen to me. Listen to me. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? This is Muscle, and this is another Two Line Music Huts Entertainment Report podcast. And today, we have a really special guest in the building. Listen, this man, I've seen this man in Toronto for a while, talking back and forth. This is when I was selling music at that time there. So I couldn't really, there was no platform to sit down and talk. And I knew this man always had crazy history. But now we have the platform, fast forward now. We have the platform. Now I get to sit down in the presence of a great man like this. You know, we have in the building today, we have Mr. Blacker Ellis in the building today. What's going on, big boss? Ah, what's going on? That, that can take a couple weeks, <laughs> uh, weeks of discussion. A lot's going on. I'm, yeah. I'm happy. I'm growing. I'm aging. And I embrace aging. Um, I'm still doing some stuff in stand-up comedy. A lot less because I'm not so into that. I mean, I still enjoy doing it, but it's not it's not number one on my agenda right now. Um, I'm teaching at the Edamale College in Jamaica. I'm I'm doing a lot of community work in Trenchtown, and I am just enjoying life. Enjoying life, <laughs> and you see all of that stuff you gave me in thirty seconds. <laughs> That's what we're gonna really. <laughs> Open that up and figure out all of what you've done because I know you're a writer, you're an educator, clearly you're an entertainer, you're, you give back, you do so many things, you know what I mean? And today we're going to find out because I know you of all people, you're a true, true Trenchtown representative. Totally, totally. All right? Totally. I even call you Mr. Trenchtown. <laughs> I, am, I accept that happily. Happily accept that. Trenchtown, I'm a place. Yeah. Yeah, man. What and was it? What was it like growing up in Trenchtown? It was, it was challenging. Mm -hmm. It was abject poverty. Mm -hmm. No question about that. I, I was raised by an aunt. My aunt was a fishmonger. She sells fish at the corner of West Road and Third Street in Trenchtown. Um, my mom was never part of my life. My dad was somewhere around the corner. Mm -hmm. So it was just my aunt and a bunch of siblings in the house that was just you know be people of is it. When you hear about Trenchtown, yeah. people loved it. Look at the romantic side of and Bob Marley sing both. Government yard in Trenchtown. And I figure that is the, the lowest of, of the rung, government yard. We live below that rung. Because you have below the government yard, you have the capsuland area. Because mm -hmm. government yard means that it, it's concrete house and running water. Capsuland means that it's, it's wooden shack, zinc roof, catch water, sandpipe thing. That's where I lived. Mm -hmm. Right? So now that was growing up, but they thought of this sense of this balance, this, this, we are this, but we are that. In other words, we are poor, but, 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 but I am the nephew of Arthur and Arthur and Zillis, and they are famous or they are popular. Yeah. So there's only that balance between we are poor, but there's hope. You there know, was always that but. 
absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, you are poor, but you're bright, yeah. and you're gonna get somewhere. So there was all of that, but and the but meant that there was a that it's never just what you see. So and and I'm very proud to say that Trenchtown is a big part of my heritage. Listen, my grandparents live in Trenchtown, so so there has been an Ellis in Trenchtown from the 1930s until now, nonstop. Our family had never stopped being in Trenchtown. Yeah. Some folks there which have moved out, mm-hmm. and some of us did do that, but our family has been in Trenchtown from the 1930s until now. That's a long time, boss. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's almost 100 years. Several generations. Yeah. Just me, yeah, man. Okay, because I know you said you grew up with your grandmother, because I know your mother, she was a dancer. Yeah. And your father was a backup singer for Alton Ellis, which was his younger brother. Yeah, you got it. You, yes. got, you got your fuck. Yeah. You got your fuck. <laughs> so when Alton say, girl, I've got a date, my father say, ah. Oh. <laughs> it was Alton on the, flame, on the flames. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, he was, yeah, your father was part, he was the flames. Yeah. You know what I mean? And he was also writing for the song for Alton as well. Okay. You know, he moved to Toronto years ago and lived there and died there, my dad. Yeah. Yeah, man, Eglinton for years. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't know that. So with your mom, because I know your mom's originally from Montego Bay. Yeah. And I think your father was from Trenchtown. From Bonham Trenchtown. Okay. So yeah. how did they, they meet in the first place? Her being all the way on this side and him being yeah. over here? Through the through the work, because she was dancing on a show mm-hmm. um, where you were singing with, with Alton at, at a cinema, a theater in Kingston somewhere. Can I remember it? It's a theatre garden. Forget the name. It's right near Tivoli Gardens. Mm-hmm. What a theatre name again? Oh my goodness, the Regal and the Regal. Forget the name, but so they met there at a show, mm-hmm. and and things happened, mm-hmm. you know. And that, um, she she was Montego Bay, living in Montego Bay. She kept to Kingston time and time again because my aunt who raised us was her mm-hmm. older sister. Okay. So that's how they, they linked up. And the funny thing is, I never seen my mother and my father together in the same space ever in my lifetime. Never. Never. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, because that's interesting there. So I guess because, so why did you grow up with your aunt at that time, but you still, you knew that your mom was in Montego Bay. Was there a situation where she said, okay, it might be better for you to live in Trenchtown and grow up than where her situation was or what really made transpired there? My aunt also raised my mother because she's much older than her. And it, she basically said to her, I'll take, take care of the kids, you go and look life. So my mom was the kind of woman who she would get pregnant, mm-hmm. bring the kids, leave them with auntie, and go on again, go and dance. <laughs> yeah. So it's almost like, even though she's your aunt, she's almost like your grandmother also, because she's the one that raised my mom. mom. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, yeah, a lot of people say they grew up with their grandmother. So essentially it would have been your grandmother you grew up with, but wasn't granny, but it was auntie. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Auntie Becca. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Right. Yeah. And what was it like growing up with your aunt now being in the house? And how many brothers and sisters? And there were six of us in that household mm-hmm. with Auntie Becca. Jean, Shirley, Aston, Keith. Mar- yeah. Six of us. I was called Keith. <laughs> My pet name. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that was an auntie. I mean, it was us. She went to Greenwich Town, get the fish. She sell at the corner of the roadside, and come at even time, and she would read the gleaner and discuss with her friends. And and she was a very hard woman. Mm-hmm. She had a very difficult life. She had all these kids, and her parents weren't supporting her with them. Mm-hmm. And so she was very frustrated, and she expressed her frustration. You know, she raised us. So she was brutal. Mm-hmm. She was verbally and physically abusive. You know, we get beaten daily. 
<laughs> people get beaten daily. Mm-hmm. And when it, it was beaten was the, the end of the spectrum because there was already the cussing, mm-hmm. you know, cussing and then beating. And that people grew up on that. And I mean, and we weren't we weren't bad kids, you know. Mm-hmm. When other kids were busy getting involved in you know, crime and petty thief and so on, we were just well, at least I was. I was into books, you know. Yeah. When other youth ride skate and play marble and fly kite, I was hanging. I was just hung out, struck, and and Nancy Drew, Bob the Twin, Hardy Boy, Archie Comic, you know. <laughs> that was my thing, you know. Anything with words. Once there was words, I was in it. Yeah, man. Yeah. Once something was written, mm-hmm. I'm reading it. Mm-hmm. When you see, when, I, when you see the machete, I see made in Great Britain. And you see a ratchet, I say, Okapi, made in South Africa. <laughs> and you see a sardine tin, me say, New Brunswick, <laughs> New Fundland product. I mean, I was not into the words. Yeah. And that's perhaps what saved me, mm-hmm. you know, because I could have got involved in crime like many youth around me. Mm-hmm. But books were my escape into a different world. And what do you think it was about? books in particular, because again, you could have got involved with mm-hmm. outside, you could have got involved with anything, but what do you think it was about reading that really attracted you to something like that? I think it, I have to give credit to my grade three teacher, mm-hmm. a woman named Phyllis Welsh, God bless, God bless and rest her soul. Miss mm-hmm. Welsh turned me on to the joy of reading, and she made school life fun. I would look forward to leaving home to go to school mm-hmm. because Miss Welsh was there to just embrace you and love on you. And she also introduced me to performing on stage. She had me doing dancing and singing and so on. So I was g- getting used to loving the stage through her. and But through her, I got this real love for words, mm-hmm. for the, the beauty of poetry and the rhythm of words and just being able to encounter words and meaning. And it just, I, just, I, I loved words from then till now. And Mr. Welsh should take all the credit for that. From that there. So there, as you said, there are six kids in the house plus their aunt. Mm-hmm. Was, was there a man in the house also? She had a couple of men that, that she beat them and them left. <laughs> <laughs> and to beat everybody, and to beat police, and to beat thief, and to fight woman, man, boy, and to a, a, a physically violent woman. So I remember there was Mr. Bobo and Mr. Fanso. Mr. Bobo, and, and, because she was a fishmonger. Mm-hmm. And the men, the, 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 the two men that she had in the time that we've known her were also were, were fishermen. Mm-hmm. It made sense, yeah. you know. But they couldn't say it with Auntie, because she, she battered them. <laughs> yeah, she, she was. So at that time in the house, now she's she's uh, she's selling fish at the side of the road and stuff. What did you think you were gonna grow up and get into? What did you want to be when you got older at that time? There, I want to be a lawyer. A lawyer. Yeah, I just saw that lawyer that people who who use words mm-hmm. to free people and use words to change dynamics, and I mm-hmm. thought that's the job I want to do. I want to be a, a lawyer, and I up to the end of high school, that was my aim to be a lawyer. But then towards the end of high school, I got involved in acting and I thought, hey, this feels good, it yeah. feels great, and ended up in school as drama. And you still and you still get to use words, because your thing seems like it was always words. Always. So I, a lawyer, I'm going to use these words to free people, or acting, I'm going to use these words to bring joy to people. And you thought, well, freeing them from yeah. the, the pain and the struggle of their, their ordinary life. So mm-hmm. It is still, in a way, using words that yeah. way. Yeah, words are okay. They're, and even your, your brothers and sisters that were in the house, what were they into at that time? There Were they, what did they like? Because remember, you like books and stuff. Yeah. So what did they like? The, it's interesting because they're the way in which all of us were on a trajectory towards entertainment in some way or the other. Because one of my brother, 
became a dancer. Mm-hmm. Well, my sister became a dancer. And another, my brother, two of my brothers became musicians. So we were all heading in that, in, in that direction, almost without wanting to. It's like that life was calling you. We had a band when I was, when I was, when I was about 14. We had a band called Youth Corporation. Yeah. I was on drums, my brother Junior on bass, my brother Aston on guitar, and um, a young man who became famous, um, Anthony Johnson, Roy, we call him Roy, was the, the vocalist. He was a Dennis Brown son, son like he had a big hit call, Every day is a gunshot, yes. and another one get dropped. That was our band, Youth Corporation. Yeah, man. <laughs> Did not know that, that. Was a, that was a drummer, yeah. a trapped player in a band. Okay, so then when did dr- did drumming and stuff, instruments come into your life early too, or that was a bit later? That was earlier. That was earlier. I would. Mm-hmm. So my, my brother Aston um, and everybody thinks that we're twins because we are almost identical. Mm-hmm. He's a he's a musician. I mean, he plays guitar, bass, drums, steel pan, everything, mm-hmm. and he was the one. He was the driver behind that. And we started the band when before high school. We 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 had the band. But I, I think, and then, but then I think the 70s changed everything. Mm-hmm. In between 72 and 76, Trenchstone became, you know, violent and the, the political violence of put everything. So we had to move from Trenchstone. We moved New Year's Day, 76, because our house was set on fire New Year's Eve night, 75. Yeah. And we left Trenchstone, I mean, like under the shadow of, of darkness and moved to a place called Central Village, Sufferer Heights in St. Catherine. Mm-hmm. So my brother Hassan went to Montegobe to live with my, my mom, and the band just dis- dissipated. Mm-hmm. I was still in high school and just took theatre as a different route. Okay, so then you're playing around with the thing. And what do you think, what was, why were you, what was your attraction to drums? I, I'm very into rhythm and tempo. Mm-hmm. I love rhythm. Even when I... I play with words. I play with words because I see in words a, a sense of rhythm and 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 riddles. Because words challenge you to say, what do I really mean? Mm-hmm. And that, there's a riddle in that. And so rhythm and riddle was always my thing. And drumming gave me that. And I, I, I insist that the drummer in the band is the, is the keeper of the, of the tempo. The drummer is the, is, the, is the real guide. And life is rhythm. Mm-hmm. Our heartbeat Time is rhythm. If it's top and check the seconds, one one thousand, two one thousand. That's rhythm. The time, our life is a, it's a rhythm. Mm-hmm. Our body is a rhythm. Our heartbeat, our pulse, it's all rhythm. Twenty four hours rhythm. Twenty. So life is a rhythm. So jump became natural to me. It was just, so it seems like a lot of stuff just happened to. It was a natural progression for you because these are stuff that you like. It just floated into your life. Totally. And I mean, some white person once said that if you do what you love, you never work for a day in your life. And that's what I've been doing all my life, mm-hmm. doing stuff that I love. Because, and sometimes it's difficult because as artists, them don't want to pay because they're having too much fun. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But it is fun, yeah. you know? But we still want to get paid, you know? But it's still work. It this is, is how work. I feed my family. Absolutely. You know what Absolutely. I mean? There. So you said growing up with you at now in Trenchtown, the area started to get rough. Inside of the house now is a bit abusive because aunt, your aunt now, she likes to cuss a lot. She mm-hmm. likes to beat and all of these stuff there. So then I guess, would you say words and drumming and all these stuff here was your escape from what was going on inside your house and outside your house? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You could lose yourself in, in, in the rhythm of the music, mm-hmm. in the rhythm of the words, and even momentarily. And there was always that. You could, 
and I tell kids all the while, you don't, you don't understand the extent to which a book. Just sit before something, and you could just, by looking at those words, you move literally, physically, spiritually, emotionally into a different space, mm-hmm. into a different mood, into a different feeling, into a different character, into a different you. And you can then access the better you, the best of yourself, by getting lost in words. So whatever the words are, the Quran, the Bible, the newspaper, the the just read stuff. Yeah. <laughs> just words. Yeah, you man. just want the words. Yeah, man. You know what I mean? In then these times here now, do you meet Bob Marley or who were some of your friends in Trench Town at this time here now? Uh, <laughs> so I, I I never met Bob Marley as in like shake and I say, hello, I am Bob Marley. But I encountered him. And I have to give credit to the whalers. Um, they were musicians who were living and working in Trench Town. And they, they, they exemplified the teaching of Christ who said, allow the children to come unto me. Kids were never told, you can't come here, you can't come there. You could, kids were free to just move around. So then when they, they were rehearsing on First Street, you were on the floor, sitting on the floor, like absorbing the music. You're, you're in, sitting on the floor mm-hmm. in a cloud of chalice smoke <laughs> while the great men rehearsed. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was, that was, I look back now and say, but I had no idea how special that was as a child. Yeah. So sitting on the floor with a bunch of kids. No shoes, tear bottom pants, no shirt, and us getting lost in the music. Mm-hmm. They never said kids you can't come in. They allowed us in, and that was for me special. When I started high school, I remember morning I'd be walking to get the bus and seeing two rasta men round the dragging around the field on first street. Bob Marley and Skill Cole. Every morning they were there jogging them. I, I realized now if this were the, if those were the days of cell phone, yeah. I'd be like going live, you know, <laughs> watching Marley and Skill Cole yeah. jogging in the morning because they were really into keeping fit. But those are, those are my transient memories, you know, mm-hmm. seeing Bob Marley walking on, on the field and just sleep on the wall and a reason was just special now when I look back. And then it was just... Just, yeah, it's just somebody here just yeah. sing to music and yeah. yeah. I realized no man how special those moments were. If I could have record it, I could have sell it on eBay. <laughs> because I know somebody that was very instrumental with Bob Marley Whalers and everybody was Joe Higgs. Yeah, oh yeah. So Joe Higgs lived across the road from my father on Third Street. Mm-hmm. So another thing too, when I look back now, I think, you know, I was seeing people like, you know, Joe Higgs, Ken Booth, you know. Lira Sibleton, it was like, it was like nothing, they were just friends. And there are things that I remember now that I, I'm thinking, it, it, don't, it, don't, it don't happen like that anymore, where singers just help each other. Because the first time I saw a recording happening live, mm-hmm. I walked with my cousin Noel, with Alton's son, to go visit Alton at Studio One. And me, when we walked in there, um, Horace Andy was recording Skylarking. And Alton had jumped in and had some backing with vocals. So we, when we did, they were actually recording the, the orange section mm-hmm. and Alton was throwing some, some vocals. And it was like, so that, is that Oris and the song? Skylarking. But Alton wanted us to see. And, I was like, and, and so I was seeing all that. And, it, and to me, now I'm thinking, God, that was so special. But then it was just, we could look to Uncle Alton and a man and sing and a nothing. So we realized in retrospect, oh, we had a valuable experience. But then it was like just, I just nothing. Another day <laughs> you know? in trench though. Yeah, but Joe Ig don't cross the road, man, because Joe Ig was the master, you know. He was the master. He was the teacher for all of them. You know. Mm-hmm. I remember the, the, the man that many people don't remember a man called Legon Kogil. Mm-hmm. Legon the, the, the visual artist. Amazing visual artist. Painter par excellence. 
But he was also like a Bob Marley muse. He was Bob's inspiration. He wrote um, Cold Girl Was My Bed Last Night for Bob Marley. Okay. So long before Bob and other people had tourists coming in the trench town, they're coming into what? To, to view artwork by Lego and Cogill on 3rd Street. There were busloads of white folks coming to look at his artwork. At his artwork? At, at, at his house on 3rd Street. He was my father's neighbor on the side of 3rd Street there. We don't know, and I'm going to know where you know Legon Kogil. Mm-hmm. He was that was one of these men who was, if you talk to Legon, you, you get, cause he, had these, he had these theories mm-hmm. about life, and he would tell you about a, a network of, of lanes and call it under the road, and, and, and things that only him alone know about. <laughs> he was amazing. He, people think he's crazy. I think he's a genius. But and that's he, why he could bring the art life to the. To, art to life yes the way he did yes you know what i mean because yes. what was inside of his mind how he could picture it and say this is it right here yeah so when bob sing that song that's what legon kogi lived cold gone with my bed last night and rock with my pillow too he was living that and the set and bob sing it and bob marley had a wonderful knack for taking words from the bible from the people from elders like Marcus Garvey, from Ayla Selassie, and made it into beautiful, timeless music. Mm-hmm. And that is just the essence of the Trenchtown man. Trenchtown. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> growing up, was Alton Ellis already a big star when you were a kid growing up at this time here? Yeah, man. Yeah, man. It was one thing that gave me pride and gave me a sense of that butt. You know, we're poor butt, Uncle Alton. Because he had he won the first card in Trenchtown. Alton, that yellow triumph. Mm-hmm. I remember the triumph when Alton drive in, like, yeah, mm-hmm. Uncle Alton, I come. You know? And it, it, it gave us his children and his neighbors and nieces that sense that, you know, we were connected to something that was bigger than, than us and Trenchtown and mm-hmm. gave us a sense that we are poor, but there is hope. We are poor, but there's a kind of wealth that we have. It might not be in money yet. Alton always say his wealth is his health. You know, it wealth is just living and doing it work. Mm-hmm. And we saw that. So I was happy to enjoy that and be we saw him as somebody important. And, and because there were the times when you those days it was just to hear yourself on the radio. They were hearing his songs on the radio. Mm-hmm. And that was a big thing. You see down the road, I hear him on the radio. That was like a massive thing. Mm-hmm. Like now being on a in a movie now. Of course. That was it. So yeah man. That was he he was special. And he was celebrated by the people mm-hmm. much more then than perhaps now. At that time there. At that time. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Because this was this would have been the rock steady era at that time there. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, that was the rock steady and, and reggae, reggae, like roots reggae mm-hmm. era. Yeah, man. Because I know at one point he was more singing more like lovers rocks and stuff like that. And then he started to go into more social commentary after a while. Yeah, absolutely. And that's... And that's um, that's where, because my, my dad wrote, wrote this song called Brown Eyes. And he had written it for Alton. It was the time when Alton was now saying him, now he listened to the love song, now I'm going to more social justice um, themes. So he said, sing the song yourself, or you're, you're a good singer. And my dad stayed with the song at the studio with the producer a whole day and got fed up and gave it to a group called the Black Brothers who sang it. He never got any credit. He only, and towards his, his death, he kept saying he wanted to do it again. Mm-hmm. And so we actually have his, his voice recording it, that one day we're going to release it. Yeah. Because he's very fond of that song that he wrote to, 
to some woman. It's my mother, I'm not sure. You know, God, she never had brown eyes. You know? Brown eyes, you're disturbing my slumber. Now, Daddy Leslie, man. Mm-hmm. But he, 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 I think he died frustrated in that he never got a chance to be the singer that he, that he thought he could have been. Because the, the family, the, and there was Hortons, yes. and there was Alton, but there was also Irving. Many people don't know Irving. Irving was, was a good thing as Alton, a property even better. But he became popular as a steel pan player in, on the North Coast, um, called Nine, because mm-hmm. he had nine fingers, because the man chopped off his, his thumb, mm-hmm. caught him with his woman and chopped off his big finger. <laughs> and he would play the steel pan with all the stick between these two fingers there. Yeah. You know, but he was a master singer, and he would brag and say, "Me can't sing, but it's not Alton." But Alton, but the one, be, Alton was the one who became famous. He was but, the one that took it. Yeah, mm-hmm. but they were all good because they got the gene from my grandmother Beatrice, who was the singer. And be she was the, she was always singing. Yeah. The image, and if you ask any of our grandkids, they'll tell that the image of Ambi that they remember either sitting over a pan full of clothes doing the laundry by hand, smoking a cigarette, but she would put the, put the fire inside her mouth. Yes. And fire in her mouth and, and full of wash, and she would be singing some old hymns or some rhythm and blues, some blues song, some, some, and she'd be just singing like the entire community in like her audience. That was, that, that the singing gene was there. But yeah, man, so Alton was, was loved and famous, and, but he was not the only one in the family. But he was just the one who became famous, yeah. the one who really took it to some other level. Because I think I was reading somewhere, I heard somewhere, his sister, Hortense Ellis, mm-hmm. she was one of the first females to, to record a song to record in Jamaica. A song. Yeah. 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 So she's, she's part of the history. Mm-hmm. And she never got the fame that, that he got, partly because of, you know, things that were different then that wouldn't be such an issue now, like, you know, getting pregnant, mm-hmm. you can't go on tour and so on. And she she was uh, she was pregnant quite often. Mm-hmm. She had 10 kids in all. 10? Yeah. Because <laughs> I know that they recorded some songs or a song together, Alton Ellis and Horton Yes, Ellis. Yeah, they did a couple of songs together, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, man. Crazy right there. I'm going to bring you back to a name that you brought up earlier, Miss Welsh. Yeah. All right? If I remember good, Miss Welsh, she introduced you to Miss Lou? Yes, 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 <laughs> yes. So Miss Welsh had us dancing for festival. Um, I danced at the water the stage and, and so on. And, and so what Miss Lou's program, Ring Ding, would give, up, would, would, give, would give students a chance to perform or who had done well in festival. Mm-hmm. So we had gotten medals in dance and we performed with, for Miss Lou on Ring Ding. So I got a chance to meet Miss Lou, dance for her, and be interviewed by her. Mm-hmm. Thanks to Miss Welsh. Although later on I got to meet Miss Lou again as a school of drama student, because Miss Lou came and did a master class in school of drama. So I was able to meet her as an older person. But I met her as a child to come on TV, to come on TV at a picnic from Trenchtown mm-hmm. beside Miss Lou. Trust me. We just sorry that then the last was archival. Um, footage because it was just mm-hmm. to, to see myself then in my like top hat and brown vest and so on dancing for Miss Lou but Miss Welsh did that mm-hmm. what's interesting in terms of primary school barefooted in grade 1 grade 2 barefooted grade 3 Miss Welsh bought me a pair of shoes Miss Welsh put me on stage to perform years later 
I went back to that very same Princeton Primary School as the school board chairman. And I was the chairman who was able to appoint Miss Welsh as principal. <laughs> so I became her boss. This woman who made me, literally so made me. She almost seems like she was your your school mom. Yes. You know what I mean? Without a doubt. Yeah. Without a doubt. She was she was a mother, she was a guidance counselor, she was inspiration and she she saw me what I never saw. And she I mean I I, I will honor her every single day of my life because Miss Welch, she made me happen. Literally, she made me happen on stage, on TV, in life. Yeah, man. Miss Phyllis Welch. Yeah. So the first time you, you went over and you were on Ringding and stuff, was that your first time on stage and dancing in, in drama at that time there? First time on, yeah, first time. Because we danced at the War Theatre, won medal in the, in the festival competition mm-hmm. and, and moved from that to TV. That was my first time being noticed nationally. And do you remember how old you were when you were on TV that time? Eh? I would have been nine, ten. So, you, <laughs> so you've been appearing on TV since you were nine or ten. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Never thought about that. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, yeah man. that's wild. That's crazy stuff. Yeah. Well, I never thought it like that. I locked that minute on TV. <laughs> oh, way before and I did fancy cat. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so there was no, uh, you said the archives got destroyed. Did you ever get to see any pictures or any videos or anything from that performance? Years ago, years ago, we went to Miss Welsh's house and we, we were able to look through her photo album mm-hmm. and saw pictures of, of, of us dancing. Um, Two dances, one dance called the Gentile Walls, and one dance called um, can't remember the name of the dance. We danced to a song by a, a song, a, mu- a, a piece of music called Jingola Ba by um, by West African drumming legend um, Baba Tunde Ola Tunje. Mm-hmm. Album called Drums of Passion. Because again, I saw it when I read the words, yeah, so I remember, I remember the album then, you know. But yeah, there, there, there's no there's no record of that anywhere except mm-hmm. in our minds, you know. But thankfully, the people who I dance with are still alive. My classmates from primary school, mm-hmm. we all would say, "Yeah, remember? If we could just find those records, those." Uh, which, in, in fact, I must go and check the archives at the National Library. Mm-hmm. We may have stuff in newspapers, but none of us have any record of, of it in our own personal archives. It's, it's just sad. in your memory. But again, that's why I do stuff like this and have these conversations. So even if we don't have the original when yeah. you did it. At least we're capturing your memory now, and yeah. we'll have this for as long as we could have. Absolutely, have absolutely. And while I put a big value on words, the written words, I understand that as an African people, mm-hmm. we have a very rich oral history, and we just don't have to keep on telling our stories. Mm-hmm. Um, it's no longer sitting down in a circle and in the village and talking it. We can do it like this because someone will will, will record it. Mm-hmm. And it then becomes part of the, the oral archive that generations to come will remember. Say, hey, remember Two Line Music must have interview Black Eye Mr. XYZ? And it's going to become part of the oral history. So, what you're doing here, really and truly, is helping to document history. So, give thanks for that. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, understand. So, then now you perform for Miss Lou, Miss Welsh. She's taking care of you on the school side and stuff like that now. But you're in Trenchtong. Trenchtong is a rough, tough neighborhood. Mm-hmm. But from what I understand, when you 
looking to get into like theater and the arts and stuff like that was almost looked down upon coming from the coming from the ghetto and the garrison at that time. Yeah. You almost feel you're kind of soft or you're kind of wishy-washy. Yeah. How did you decide to get into the arts but still live in Trenchtown? Did you have to hide and go do it and come back? Or what was it like that time there? Well, it, it, but by the time I left Trenchtown, I was already a teenager. When I left, it was New Year's New Year Day, 76, the year when I turned 16. Mm-hmm. Another very important year in a, in a young man's life, you know, you're becoming... You know, at the age of consent, mm-hmm. um, you know, so I was I was now defining myself. So it wasn't such a difficult thing to determine that it's what I want to do with me, and and things. So it was, I never you never had to hide. Um, you you just know that this is your thing, mm-hmm. and and but I knew that I was that I was different. So my brother It had this idea called Get a Misfit, mm-hmm. where he suggests that. Some of us don't fit in the ghetto mold because ghetto you supposed to supposed to bad supposed to yo I'm a bad man and we were we, we were never <laughs> like that you know and in a way in this way we never apologize for not being that we just yeah. not into that so you know I, so I you know we never the the way in which you are so you, you'd mark your your status by something like you got jail already. Mm-hmm. Or you run from police already. Mm-hmm. Or, I think, and I was like, I never want to do those things. And we never need to do those things to validate ourselves as a transgender youth. We just, we just, Becca Pitney and Becca raised me, and Becca said, hey, we run. And we were okay with that. And we never felt we need to apologize. We just not let them out there. Because we saw where they went. The young men who set our house on fire, paid by politicians, they all died pretty, pretty young. Mm-hmm. And the young men who, who, Bragged about you got jail already and run from police and, and me, me me have a gun. They all died. You know? <laughs> so it was clear that you know it needed to be like that. We just choose our part and go along our part. Yeah. At that time there. Talking about high school time, I know you went to Excelsior. Yeah. All right. What was that like now coming from Trench Hong Kong to Excelsior? Oh my God. That was that was my God is amazing how things turn out. Because when to Excelsior, I realized for the first time, I learned that I was poor. Before that, you just wanted that, yeah. But because I was now comparing myself with other young people who come from uptown and, you know, so I was taking the bus. There are times when I walked from Trenchtown to Excelsior and walked back. I'd walk from Excelsior to Trenchtown, up Mountain View Avenue to National Stadium, down Ottawa Drive to Crossroads, down Bayern Carib to Bayern Carib, down, down to Trenchtown, right? And I realized that I was, now that I was poor, mm-hmm. that I was different because some youth are wear night shoes come school, you know, some youth are wear um, clogs and Bali and, and travel fox and, and me wear auntie, boyfriend, hand me down old man shoes, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And th- that's where comedy became a, a refuge mm-hmm. because I would tell my story that what auntie did last night I want to beat you up last night. I want to cuss and go on by last night. And they would, my student, my classmates would just fall down dying with laughter because they thought I was making up these stories. Yeah. I was sharing my, 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 my life with them. And I learned, I discovered then that this was therapy. You know, I could share my real life stories and make people laugh. And that's how I began to discover this thing called stand-up comedy. We had a mango tree at Excelsior. We had to sit on a mango tree and just talk things. 
where I go on a trench zone, where I go on a So my trench zone ghetto experience gave me, you know, the in, the, 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 the ammunition, the, the material with, with which I could then share comedy. And that began the comedy route. Mm-hmm. Because you said comedy was therapy. It was therapy for you because of what you're going through and therapy for the people because they're laughing. Absolutely. So it's a win-win. <laughs> win-win. Win-win. Yeah. Win-win. So when did your name go from Keith to Blacker? Trenchstone Primary. From grade three, Trenchstone Primary. Mm-hmm. Mythwell's class. We learned about adjectives and comparatives and, you know, big, bigger, biggest. Adjective, comparative, superlative, you know. And myth with a class, look around the room for some examples. Mm-hmm. One boy said, Myth, we blacker, him blacker. That became my name, I embraced it. You know, but it was blackest. So, <laughs> you know, we live with it. But yeah. so it was meant to be a put down, you know. Mm-hmm. We blacker, you blacker. But I embraced it and I learned that we, we can do that. We can embrace what's meant to be a put down and, and elevate it to a to a, to a title. Because you own it. Yeah. So when I went to high school, I could have left Blacker behind, you know. Mm-hmm. But I tell them, I mean, I'm Blacker. So I went to try and take character and introduce myself as Blacker. Mm-hmm. Keith was not a pet name. Everybody had a pet name because they must know, everybody know their right name because they can't harm you. Mm-hmm. So everybody had a pet name. Mm-hmm. And Keith was a pet name. But I became Blacker because I chose to say, hello, I am Owen Ellis and I'm called Blacker. Mm-hmm. And I became Blacker at Excelsior. Later on in life, now I decided that you know what happened. I'm gonna start giving Blacker less prominent of a name mm-hmm. because as I embrace my 60 and year old self, I'm like Blacker is so juvenile sometimes, you know. But <laughs> why do you think you look so young to this day? Because of the you said if Blacker sounds juvenile, that kept you frozen <laughs> for so long. That's why you still look so young. So you can't get rid of Blacker. I'm a 60 year old grandfather. It does, it does not matter. I have a teenage granddaughter who's two turned 18. It does not matter. <laughs> this is what, when the person said black up and you accept it, it's like it froze you in time <laughs> and you left you there. You see the day you decide, okay, no more black up, you're going to get all the next day, you know, <laughs> I am Mr. Ellis, Mr. Owen Ellis. JP, <laughs> no <Yeah>. black. <laughs> you're gonna tomorrow. Now that you said here tomorrow, you're gonna get go home and get home tomorrow. <laughs> you feel the great year, year, bro. <laughs> but interesting. But blacker, I just been all my friends call me blacker, and I'm okay with it. But sometimes I'm thinking, yeah, yeah. I'm too old for a car with a blacker now. It's it's it, it's solidified. You can't. There, <laughs> there there's nothing you could possibly do. To change that. That's solidified in history, boss. But I sometimes see young people struggle mm-hmm. because, you know, the ones who grow up right want to have a mark of respect. So they're with um, Mr. Blacker or Sir Blacker or Sir Black. And I see them struggling to, to add some, some respect to Blacker. Because yeah. I think just the Blacker might just make them, make them seem, seem rude. I'm like, you know, for their sake, I'm like, oh, you can call me Mr. Ellis, but if you want to Blacker, because to me, those things don't matter. Mm-hmm. I don't have to get title and Sir and so on to feel respect. Respect is is obvious when it's intended. Yeah. So you can call somebody sir and God and still disrespect them. You understand. And you can hear the tone of disrespect. So Excuse me, sir. Yeah, and, <laughs> and this, this sir means everything but sir. You know? Yeah. yeah. So, so in high school, now, is this where you started to go more into drama? Because you discovered comedy. Yeah. So do you get into drama in high school and yeah. try to do stand-up comedy and stuff in high school too? Yeah, man. High school... I was excited. Had a very powerful performing arts program. Mm-hmm. Blessed that school, Mr. Webley Powell, the founder. We added three drama sheds at Excelsior. 
we had three teachers of drama in high school at Excelsior. And we had a thing, um, inter-house competitions, inter-house singing, dancing. I mean, singing, you have categories, you had folk, pop, um, nigger spiritual, you had, so, and, you, and you were competing in those things. So when some schools were putting all the value on sports, Excelsior was sports and arts. So we were singing, dancing, and so on. And that gave me a space. I was president of the drama club. I was performing in every year in inter-house competitions, singing, dancing. Even you know, me think me can't sing, me sing. I might have to win the points, you know. And then you had people at Excelsior. Excelsior had a very rich history in music, rich history in music. So in 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 my in my batch at high school, we had. Cleveland Brownie from Celia and Cleavy. Okay. Right? And Cleveland Brownie was when the man is singing a man. Mm-hmm. So and so we had dancers singers and so I became part of that fraternity. Mm-hmm. And that's where I with school entered the festival. I got the best actor award and I thought, hey, acting sound like my kind of thing. And I thought I went from high school to school of drama. That's where you went. So then did you meet Bello this time before you went to school of drama or after where did you guys connect during high school. I was at Excelsior. He was, he was at Camperdown. So we met at we met at we met we met at the rivals in the school of the drama festival. He was Camperdown's star actor, yeah, and he was an actor singer par excellence. And so he won best actor award seventy six, and I won best actor award seventy seven, and we went to school of drama seventy eight. So we and met seventy six. Yeah, yeah, man. And I, I, I mean, I, I mean, I respect Bella as an actor. He's, without doubt, the best actor in his generation was because he's no longer with us. But Bella was us. He take any role, and he owned it. Owned that when him actor role, him owned a role. He was amazing. And we have some good actors in Jamaica. I mean, Paul Campbell is just a master. Bella, but people like Paul Campbell get typecast in playing certain badman role. Mm-hmm. Bella could move from badman to police to clown to old man to young boy with ease. Mm-hmm. And each of them would be believable. Totally believable. Bella is a master, man. So you would say even when so now when you guys are in school of drama, his thing was more acting and your thing was more comedy at that time there? You don't know it wasn't comedy. Interesting because by the time I got to school of drama, mm-hmm. I was no longer such a clown around, laugh around kind of a person. Mm-hmm. I, by the time they know, I began to call myself I Black Atafari. Because you had dreads at that time. Yeah. Rastafari. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was into dub poetry. I was into chanting down Babylon. Mm-hmm. I was into, you know, social justice advocacy. I wasn't into comedy at that time. I, I kind of gave the comedy a break, mm-hmm. you know, and into more just discovering. I was walking, you know, around with a back of my shoulder with a chalice in there. <laughs> I was that guy, you know, with a fire bun on everything, right out, lightning, you know. And then when we ended our course of study at School of Drama, Bill and I were now performing together, singing and poetry. You would sing some deep, powerful songs, and I would do some chant, some, some, some hardcore poetry. Mm-hmm. And we were doing that. that. That was our thing, that Bello and Blacka as to a singer-poet. Okay, so that's how the duo had started out. Yeah. As a singer and a poet. Yeah. 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 Nothing to do with comedy. Nothing to do with comedy. Yeah. We're doing a show in 1985 now. Mm-hmm. It was the launch of an event called Caribbean Popular Theatre Exchange. Mm-hmm. And we were asked to do, a, to do a performance. And we were rehearsing. He had a song called We Don't Need No More War. I had a poem called The Real Raw Reality. 
and we're rehearsing it now for that show. And Anna Ford Smith, who taught us acting, walked in to watch the rehearsal. We did our thing, and Anna, we think, and she said, guys, I think it's boring. And we were like, struck. <laughs> she said, yes, because the event that we're performing on had Dennis Scott and Lana Goodison reading poetry. She said, the event already have on enough deep stuff. Do something funny for a change, guys. And we thought, okay, so we'll park, we'll plan performance and created a, 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 a funny skit called What is Culture? Mm. That basically mark people's idea of what culture means. And we began, Kuya, Kuya, Botsia, this a Bella, this a Blacker, and this a culture. We are going to take up like a, And that became the comedy duo. Mm-hmm. We did that performance and it marched down the place. And we were to do it again yeah. and again. And that became the comedy duo. Just, 85. just because of somebody saying that this is boring, yeah. <laughs> let's just do something else. Yes, yes, trust me. So, Jamaican um, Terry Carroll Reed had this wonderful idea called redirection, it re- rejection, it redirection. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened to us. Because Anna Fort Smith, you know, with a gentle rebuke, rejected our song poem mm-hmm. and directed us towards doing something funny. And I became a legendary comedic act called Bella and Blacker. And did you guys, so then now you did the performance, mash up the place and everything. So did you think you're going to go back to being a more Rasta singing the cultural tune? Are you seeing that, hey, this is something that could work and we're going to go with this? It took on its own life because what happened was that now we did that performance and it ended with, so we, did, we begin with the song and we did a, a kind of a takeoff of recently for talking about what culture means. Mm-hmm. We, we look at it, we, we mark the idea of people who think culture means walk barefoot, weird with a shiki and so on. And we ended up with that thing and we said, culture, oh, culture must be ballet. And we dance and dance and then I would jump and Bella caught me in his hands. And that picture of, of me in his hands ended up on a cleaner front page. Hilarious. <laughs> and we were out to repeat it at a lunch or a concert at Internet of Jamaica like the next, the following week. Then Twan said, do, do, do it again for it at a barbecue somewhere. Mm-hmm. So that performance, we kept doing it all of 85. And then <laughs> we got to request the bar and comedy shows. Mm-hmm. And we thought, okay, let's make some more comedy material. Yeah. And that became the comedy act. And this was because at this time, were you guys working any jobs outside of this where this was how you were making your money? At we were time? teaching part-time at the time, teaching at, 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 at high schools. Oh, so from back then... You, you were teaching? Yeah, man. Because yeah. we graduated 81 from School of Drama and mm-hmm. we were doing part-time teaching and act. You was, but I was acting and teaching. I was teaching and, and doing, doing some poetry. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought, so between 85 and, and 95, we were the, the comedy act in Jamaica, yeah. doing all the lunch or concerts, all the barbecue events, all the National Labor Day concerts. It was Bill and Black, uh, between 85 and 95. Yeah. And in between that time, in 92, Oliver Samuel recommended us to do, a, to do this, this gig in London. Blows and skirts. Blows and skirts. Listen. 92. Listen. And then we went to tour. We went we toured London, Leicester, Sheffield, Nottingham, Birmingham, doing Bella and Blacker. Mm-hmm. Because at that time, I could see that you had a, from the same blouse and skirts, because when I was doing the research, putting it together, my wife, she doesn't really know. I've had about 400 guests, mm-hmm. right? She's not really into it. She's Jamaican. She's from Chilani. She's not really into it. You see, when I pulled up blouse and skirts and I played it, she was singing that <laughs> word for word. Word for word, boss. <laughs> word for word. She said, yeah, this used to come on TV every, um, either every Saturday or something. 
this show used to come on TV. Yeah, blow that skirt. Yes, boss. That and, and we have to again say, and I put a big value on on acknowledging and honoring those who open doors mm-hmm. and Oliver Samuel's open doors mm-hmm. because that guy who booked up for London had no idea who we were. He would have simply acting on Oliver's recommendation. Okay, so Oliver had recommended say, hey, you must book these guys. Mm-hmm. And we went to London and this guy was like, he was like, who are you guys anyway? Come, Oliver said. So mm-hmm. And when we did the show, they were like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah. And based on that, we went to do our own show in the following year. Like we were that. And tour. So Oliver Samuel, respect and honor, man. You open doors to other people. Mm-hmm. How did you even connect with Oliver Samuels? Ah, I met him in pantomime. We were acting in pantomime together. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and he has an eye for talent. And he's only looking for ways to help people to get into other spaces. And, and you know, I have to really honor him for that. But yeah, man, Oliver Samuel. Because Panto was also a marker. This is the same way, oh, Guard jail, I remember police market, a bad man I get mm-hmm. Then actor in Jamaica, you have to do a pantomime. I to say that you're, chick, you know, officially mm-hmm. a, an actor. And so we had to do a pantomime. So we did, we did pantomime. Bella and I did pantomime together. And, and Oliver saw us then. And said, yeah, man, no, 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 boy. We don't have talent. Me go, me go help you know. And he did. Yeah. yeah man. And then the first big thing that he actually got you guys on would have been the blouse and skirts. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. London, 92. Not was that together. your first time traveling outside of Jamaica to perform? No. We performed together for the first time in 81 outside Jamaica in Barbados for Carefesta. We, we, we went as school, a drama school students to perform at Carefesta, 81. First time in a passport, first time on a plane, 81. <laughs> what was that reception like? Because remember now, because what I find with being an actor opposed to being a musician, music is more universal. Yeah. Acting telling jokes and stuff, it's more, it's a little bit more niche and certain people would really understand and get it. What was the reception like the first time, especially going to Barbados now? It was interesting because we were, it was a Caribbean festival. Mm-hmm. We were among the rest of the Caribbean and we we're doing a play called, we did two plays, Dog and Shepherd, Dog by Dennis Scott, Shepherd by Royal Gibbons and these are two icons in Caribbean theater. But Dennis Scott's writing is very, cryptic and esoteric and deep and you, you, have, you have to pretend to be to bright to understand, pretend to understand it if you want to appear bright. Because yeah. it gets very, you know, Dennis Scott is just a brilliant man. And we were doing Dennis Scott's Dog, which is a play that even though I've done the play a couple of times, I'm still understanding it. Very difficult work. We were doing that. So we, so we had performances and workshops and discussions and so we were part of of a, a Caribbean, what I would say, the Caribbean attempt to evolve its own vocabulary in theater. Because, you know, we inherit the colonial, European, um, and North American idea of what a play is supposed to be like. And then Scott was shifting the paradigm and stepping outside the box with plays like Dog. And we were in that. So we were, in, we were part of a groundbreaking, trending, creating new ways of doing theater in the Caribbean. So that for me that was a big part of that that trip. Mm-hmm. I was I was a part of something that was bigger, special, and different, and and innovative. Yeah. Okay. So, so it made sense, that, and 
connected. Totally, totally, totally. Definitely. Blouse and Skirts went a mashup London. How many shows did you, was Blouse and Skirts one show or was it several shows you guys did? It was a, it was a, a, a show recorded live for, for Channel 4, for TV. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was aired on, on Channel 4 a couple of times. And then based on that now, we did, we did some live shows um, around um, London, Leicester, Sheffield, Nottingham, Birmingham, mm-hmm. you know. Performing live and it's interesting because we were we were the the the, the main act and the opening act <laughs> the opening act with a woman Janet K mm-hmm. who's a big big singer Janet K go check her Janet K a big singer in London mm-hmm. right she, she had a massive duo with Dennis Brown the closer I get to you then Janet K is reggae royalty in London mm-hmm. she was the opening act for ninety two and I like no I'm thinking I'm like hey with a dig. With it big man because Janet K open for me. Janet yeah. K is massive. She is reggae royalty. And she's opening. Opening for Bella and Black. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you're doing your stuff now. Were you still a Rasta at this time here now? Or you had changed when you when you really buy blouse and skirts that came around? By the time I changed, by the time I had I, I mean I cut my locks 1982, 82, thereabouts. Um yeah. Yeah, after I got married. I got married by locks. I got my come locks, I think eighty three. I got my locks eighty three. And I by then I had evolved beyond Rasta theology. No, I'm not gonna put it up pretty top. I had evolved beyond that. My understanding of the, the doctrine had become challenged by my own thoughts and questions and so on. You know? I still have a massive respect for Rastafari mm-hmm. as a very um, appropriate and, and and a very valid expression of Judeo Christianity for people of African descent, but it's not where I lay my my heart and my my, my it's not the cross that I carry. Mm-hmm. Third, now that I'm, I'm, I'm a devout Christian, um, and I don't apologize for that. Even though in a time when Christianity is about to be a bad thing for some people, it's not for me. It's Christianity is the way of life, but I had begun by then to evolve beyond the Rastafarian doctrine. Mm-hmm. You know, and I challenge some of my Rastafarian friends about it constantly. I tell them to still say they're really a Christian, and they want they want to argue me about it. But them, me, 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 I'm here, I'm here for for for, mm-hmm. for for them, and therefore they're gonna tell me that you know Christianity, white man religion, white man religion, no, because the Christianity, the oldest Christian nation is Ethiopia, who was never colonized by the white man. Mm-hmm. The Christianity have been have been in Africa before the white men came, you know. And the red, gold, and green, the green, natural wealth, the gold, mineral wealth, the red, the church triumphant, the, the blood of Christ. So, you know, Rasta and Christianity, as a friend of mine said, Rasta and Christianity, a cousin. <laughs> <laughs> Rasta from London said that, I'm a big one for that. Yeah. You could definitely see that because, again, I, I've never seen pictures with your locks long. It was more like in the, the cam and stuff like yeah, So then I, you could I, see that it was, you weren't. A rust for a long time. No, like, that's what was tr- especially coming from Trenchtown. Yeah, that was almost like the in thing at that time. There, it was a lot of people are rust. A lot of the um people that that founded Rastafari was in Trenchtown and those type of stuff. Yeah, man, Martin Planner on mm-hmm. Fifth Street was was the what was the Rasta enclave was the was the Rasta school for many people. And Martin Planner was the man who who got to meet the emperor personally, and and it was the person who. Taught many Rastafarians how to pray, how to how to understand Ethiopia and so on. So and and, and to come back to Trenchtown, mm-hmm. that's a Trenchtown is so important for me. It's the it's the birthplace of 
of, of reggae. It's the, the nurturing place for Rastafari. It's, it's the, the home of so many great icons. Mm -hmm. It is a special space and it's Kingston 12. It's not, it not ordinary. Um, my, my current um, doctoral work is around framing Trenchstone at the site of exile, exodus, and pilgrimage. Special place, man. Yeah. Trenchstone. Mr. Trenchstone. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> Blows and Skirts is all tearing down the place now. That was actually, it came, as you said, it was taped for Channel 4, but it actually came out on VHS those times. So yeah. Circulating. All around like all Yeah, man. Stuff. So what was the next move for Bello and Blacker after this year now? After Blows and Skirts, which was 92, we did a couple more shows. We did, we did, we did, we did North America. We did every city in, in in the, we, we did the Apollo in New York, we did Acne Empire in London, mm -hmm. we did Atlanta, um, we did Florida, and then Bella took a break mm -hmm. around 96, 97, thereabouts. And then we came back together in 98, Bella, myself, Jordan Hutchinson, and Tony Pilfate Hendricks. Smile Jamaica. Laugh Jamaica. Laugh Jamaica, yes. 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 And that took it another level. Accelerate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, because even that there, that was the first time I remember seeing Fancy Cat. I don't remember seeing IT, but I remember seeing Fancy Cat in Manabadman. Manabadman, yes. Yeah. Was IT in that video too? Yeah, man. IT was there somewhere. Yeah. He was in there. Yeah. But it's just. Fancy Cat has such a distinct look. As <laughs> yeah. soon as you see, so yeah. well, and that's Fancy Cat, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Love Jamaica was the groundbreaking again. Because Love Jamaica, up to that point, up to when we did Love Jamaica, actors <clears throat> were employees. Producers got together, got the playwright. Very often the playwright was himself deed for producer. Rent the theater, get employed director, pay the actors to do a play. Mm -hmm. When Love Jamaica happened with the very, very first time in the history of Jamaica, the actors owned the content. We owned the product. We employed the director. That never happened before. Mm. We wrote the script. Yeah. We employed the director. We ran the theater. We paid ourselves. We put on Love Jamaica as actors who owned the content. We paid ourselves. Mm -hmm. At that time, bro, at that time, you're acting a play. May I talk real facts now? Acting a play. Pantomime, mm -hmm. you get 800 per show if you're a certain level actor. The name brand, I might get 1200 per show. And, and that, was, that was standard pay. Mm -hmm. We did laugh to make that. We paid ourselves five grand per show. We, we were doing nine shows a week, seven days a week, and two on Sunday. So five, nine, 45, we were paying 45 grand per week. Mm -hmm. It was unheard of. <laughs> it was unheard of. Yeah. And Love Jamaica, we were, people were turning back. We, we had a full house mm -hmm. every night, nine shows a week. Love Jamaica broke every record. That was huge because my perception of, I thought Love Jamaica was directly just made for TV or made for VHS? I didn't no, realize that was the that back were, end. No, the yeah. back end. We were we were at Center Stage Theater, nine shows a week, and then when when the show then the run ended, they went to Little Theater. Mm -hmm. Then we went on tour, but we did London, we did we did Florida, and then we went back to Jamaica and recorded it with a live audience, God. and put that on VHS. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, so then, as you said, that was like the last of it after you done. Yeah, that was the back off. end. And it was so popular. <laughs> and it still is. Now, if we keep, keep it then, maybe yeah. it again, we're like, no, that can't be touched again. That's, yeah. That was then, and that's done. And what made you guys even decide to, as you said, because nobody's really done it as actors come together and put this together. What made you guys decide to, you know what? I have an idea. Let's put this together. I think it was Tony and Joan first mooted the idea and said, let's do this now. And we, we did some talking and we did some thinking and we thought, okay, will it work? Yeah, let's try this. And we sat together, put the material together. Most of the writing was done by Tony and Joan. Mm-hmm. Bello and I did a little, little bit of it. Um, I, and interestingly, because the piece that I, the, that I wrote became the, when I did, when I wrote um, Mona Visa, we said this have to, this have to mm-hmm. end the first half. This cannot, this cannot go early on the show. After this, the show almost done. And, we, we, we did it, the live show. Interestingly, and, and people have talked about how Jamaican artists can be cl- clingy and fighty and, and for themselves. Love to make supported by everybody. Mm-hmm. The fraternity came to, to watch the show. Everybody was in theater said, hey guy, this thing good. Dilla Harris will tell you, Dilla Harris said, she saw that she said, this is what I want to do. Yeah. And she's now doing great stuff. Mm-hmm. So we were able to inspire others. Mm-hmm. We were encouraged by our fraternity. And we did a show that made money. We made good money. And we made, we broke records with Love Jamaica. Yeah. And it's still breaking records. I was telling that gone. Yeah. Trust me. And you, you guys never wanted to do a sequel, a follow-up, or like, okay, this was good, and okay, we're going to leave it at this. We talk about it. We said, nah, we don't want to touch it. We don't want to yeah. do it. If we set by that show, that's just a, a standard. We couldn't, we had to get yeah. really up there or not. I went to tell it now. We've been there, done that, print the t shirt. It's on VHS, it's on DVD, DVD yes. it's on t shirts, it's on flyers, it's history. Let's move on. Yeah. Wow. No, that classic, classic, classic. As I said, Man and Bad Man, that was a thing there. That's where, because you guys always had like music. Yeah. In the comedy. Yeah. And accelerate. Those those are two for sure. I remember when um Pale Face, Tony Hendricks was really teaching how to drive, I think it was a school bus or something. Like yeah, that. yeah. And, and your thing, your answer was always accelerate. Love Jamaica was the groundbreaking. Yeah. Groundbreaking. I was it in London. It 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 it, it would ruffle some feathers. Um the the, the ultra-black activists thought, or we treated the piece that Jonah Jensen did called Rapunzel. Yes. What did I say? Yeah. And they thought it was, we went over the, the line a bit with, with talking about black hair and, and so on. But how I can't please everybody. Yeah. I've learned that in this kind of work, you're going to offend somebody at some point. Once it's not intentional, you have to just move on. You understand. And I think around that same time, you guys did laugh to make a tear down the place. Another big thing for you this time was Dance Hall Queen. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting story. Let me tell you about Dance Hall Queen now. And Dance Hall Queen and another TV editor did for, I think, a Fiat Doubler international ad are testaments to how you can't challenge destiny. Mm-hmm. Something we're not meant to be. I never intended to be in Dancehall Queen. Never auditioned. Didn't plan to. Yeah. Never auditioned. We were working at a time with some young people in a, with a project called Era Youth Crew. Mm-hmm. And, and some of them wanted to be in the movie. So I took them to the audition. I took some kids in my car to the audition. 
the audition wait on them took them back to the rehearsal took some more and we were just doing that mm-hmm. and I took the last set now they were like shy sir when you go sir we must be to go man sir so I said, okay let me walk them inside introduce me when I walked in there now I saw Rick Elgood who said hey I know you I saw you in London. You're a comedian guy. You were in love. You were you, you were in love, Jamaica. In you were in London. You were with Oliver. I want you this movie. And Rick Elgood had them write a scene in Dazzle Queen just to put me in the movie. <coughs> because you could see in that part there, that was where Olivine nearly lick you off the bike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And in the parking lot there. Yeah, and then she asked me if I the dance if I know anybody who can do this, brother, Keith Fair. And thing, and I said yes, I know somebody. I'm gonna. Mm-hmm. It wasn't planned. That's even check it. If you look at the movie, they could take that those two scenes out, mm-hmm. and the movie would still, the story wasn't sure they would have inserted to put me in the movie. Thank Rick Elgood who saw me and thought I want you in this movie mm-hmm. because it wasn't a plan. I, I never planned to be in Dance Hall Queen. Yeah, no, that, and that little classic. cameo mm-hmm. became that's a classic. I'm like, wow. Yeah. Life is weird. <laughs> Life is weird. But you just never know, especially as you said, you were bringing kids. Yeah, they were they were afraid to go in. So you just okay, come my bring yeah. you in without yeah. no intention <laughs> of anything. No, yeah, that was a pure destiny. Yeah, serendipity. Trust That's me. wild. Another one you were in another movie. This was with some big people in it. Eugene Levy, um, Jimmy Cliff, couple more people. Club Paradise. Club Paradise. Club Paradise. Yeah, All right. But this one came before Dancehall Queen. Yeah, like long that. before yeah. Dancehall Queen. Yeah. Talk to me about that one. Yeah. That one, no, I think, how did I get in, into that movie? I have no idea. Mm-hmm. I remember, I have no idea. Robin Williams is in that Robin movie. Robin Williams, yes. Peter O'Toole, mm-hmm. Jimmy Cliff. Uh, I was, what I was still at school of German at the time? I think so. Because mm-hmm. they just came and said they wanted some people to play soldiers. That I was part of Gandhi's army. I don't remember that because it's so funny. You remember, wow, you did the research, muscle. I had I forgot about yeah. about that movie, Club Paradise, uh, shot in Portland. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not a very interesting experience on that movie, though. You see, again, live. Mm-hmm. I so we were staying at a hotel, all the all the cast, and we were taken by a bus to the to to, to the set at at a beach. And we, and and in in my in my in my in, in the bottle I was on was a bunch of guys who were there as, uh, as Jimmy Cliff's entourage. Jimmy Cliff's cook, mm-hmm. who I knew from Trenchtown, mm-hmm. Vivian Hendricks, I remember him. Jimmy Cliff cook, Vivian. And the band members for, for Jimmy Cliff were on the bus going to do the set. And bus full of man, full of rasta man, weed and smoke. Charlie said smoke. Police stopped the bus. And... And uh, a man threw the coach there, so threw the child who was there, so, and man ended up on my seat. And the police took off three of us off the bus. Mm-hmm. Me and a youth named Chris Meredith, who was bass man for Jimmy Cliff at the time. And I think, I think the drummer, the drummer, the bass man, and me, because they found pizza, the, the chalice, beside us. And we were arrested for possession of a chillum pipe. Mm-hmm. And we never smoked, you know. But get arrested. The manager came now from Jimmy Cliff, um, manager, the lawyer. I said, okay, just plead guilty. We'll pay the fine and move on because we have a movie to shoot. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, I'm not plead guilty. I said, well, if you don't plead guilty, it is Portland. You're going to be, 
they're gonna they're gonna have to keep detain you till the court trial. Cause we, because the, the policeman wanted to do, to do our job, we'll take the court at the same time. Mm-hmm. And they said, we'll plead guilty, we'll pay the fine and move on. I said, I'm not be guilty. Because first of all, I can't join and put it up to the pipe. Two men can't join and put it up the pipe. The pipe, I want man pipe. So I'm not be guilty. They told you on your own. So I pleaded not guilty. And the judge said, why? I said, well, we're being charged jointly for owning a chillin' pipe. We can't join the owner pipe. A one-man pipe. If it's a female one, therefore it's not my one. Mm-hmm. The judge said, okay, good point. You're free. You're free to go. And I... <laughs> God, thank God. <laughs> I would have had a criminal record then. For you know? something that you had nothing no, to do with. No, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> Your life is so interesting. It's just a, a lot of stuff that just seemed to happen. Yeah. Destiny, I, and I cannot and I cannot not accept that my life was destined to be where, where it is. And even if I didn't do anything about it, life just seemed to happen. So many things happened. When Anna said that you guys are boring, try something else, and we became comedians like that. I mean, things just happen like that. I... It's unexplainable yeah. how life just twist and turn and make things happen. Here I am. Yeah. It's wild. Another thing, we brought up his name earlier, Fancy Cat. I know you're instrumental mm-hmm. in putting, well, not even because they were, you know what? Explain the story how you were instrumental mm-hmm. in IT and Fancy Cat's emergence. Okay. So IT is my younger brother, mm-hmm. right? And IT, and we are separated by nine years, right? Almost 10 years, in fact, it's December and April. So. so when I started doing the comedy routine, the comedy set around Jamaica, um, they, would walk, they would come with me to a, to a show, you know, like part of my entourage, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And at the time, IT and Fancy Cat were experimenting with being a, a DJ duo. You know, they had this song called Girl, you pass, they look good exam, if gear ticket, you know, get the wrong bang, you pass, they look good exam, ticket, 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 ticket. <laughs> that was their, their, their one tune, mm-hmm. you know. And I was doing a show in that same line too before we went to London, me and Bella. I was doing a solo show at a place called the Tashi Hotel up short of the road. And I encouraged the producer to give them a chance to open at the, at the DJ door, IT and Fancy Get. And they did the, the opening act. They were pretty in, interesting, the audience, and enjoyed the music. And they did it again the following week. And then Claudia Pyre to what the promoter said, you know, no, 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 no more material. Hmm. And they tried something different. Yeah. And and then, the, but they were still just doing DJ doing stuff. So they they were they didn't come in as comedians, actors, or anything. This they was were, as musical, they were musical DJ. duo. They were a musical duo. And then a friend of mine at the time you know, who was the the manager for who was doing PR for courts said to me, We need two guys to do some crowd interaction stuff for, for courts. But we want two new faces. We don't want you and Bella. We want somebody like you and Bella's style, but different. Mm-hmm. And I got together three different duos to audition, including IT and Fancy Cat for courts. It was at my office on Oxford Road, and never forget, um, the guy was um, Brian Schmidt from we're working for courts and I got them to audition and they got the job and started doing this thing as they, they were called the courts clowns and that became what became now the comedy duo called I Tell Once Again 
just out of again, they but like just like yourself, you started off as dub poet mm-hmm. and stuff that it was never supposed to be comedy. Just like I can't fancy cat, it was not supposed to be comedy. No, they were musicians. They were they were DJ. They were singing rap DJ music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you help them with any of their material in the early part of their career? Yeah, man. When I started doing straight kind of stand up, no, I would. In fact, the very first, <laughs> I did a show, a comedy show in in Antigua, mm-hmm. one year. And the following year, the promoter asked me to come back and, and do the show. I said, I want, I want to give these two guys a, a chance on the show. And I named IT and Fancy Cat. He said, boy, I'm not going to pay them. Mm-hmm. I said, fly them up. If you can buy their tickets, I'll pay them. And he did that. He put them up, he fly them up, and I paid them from mine. Because I was getting a decent pay. And I paid them. And the following year, he booked them again and didn't book me. <laughs> 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 because they mashed down the place. Yeah. At that time, they were simply rehashing Bella and Blacker content in their own way. For the for their, for their, for their first year or two of performance, they were simply a different version of Bella and Blacker. They would take our stuff you know, and twist it around. Me and Bella try to argue who can look after the best. They use that as their, as their thing. That was their, 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 their standard. So, okay, let's do this. Figure out what works, and then we can move forward with that. That was own. it. That was it, and mm-hmm. that became ITM Fancy again. Mm-hmm. Because I I remember even their their show ITM Fancy Catch show. There was one show in particular that killed me. Was called Don't Say a Word. Don't say a word. <laughs> but can I tell you that Don't Say a Word? Mm-hmm. That story that my father told us. You know, my dad gave us this joke about a man. Who will ask question and the man who asked him will answer because he don't want him the man to give him a mock him. Because our father had a severe stutter. Mm-hmm. So he was always giving you Tamam and jokes. And that was it. And <laughs> we did it, for it, and boom, it blew up. <laughs> Listen, when I see that, I laugh, I laugh, I laugh, I laugh, I laugh, I laugh. You know what I mean? <laughs> But I didn't find the show. I did most of the writing for I didn't find the show. I was the, the principal writer, mm-hmm. um, and you know, and I did a few of the, the cameo appearances and so on. But I didn't find the also broke records. You know what I mean? I mean, Oliver is Jamaica's comedy king. Nobody mm-hmm. can challenge that. But Oliver last year did one season mm-hmm. on TVJ. I didn't find the did ten seasons, ten years on TV. That had never happened before. A local comedy show mm-hmm. that ran in Jamaica for 10 years on national TV. I didn't realize it was that long, boss. 10 years. Yeah. Nobody had done that ever in Jamaica. And at this time, I guess you were managing them at this time here too? Yeah. So they were doing the shows, they were doing stand-up, they were doing everything at yeah. this time here. No? Yeah. Yeah. We're making history, bro. Yeah. <laughs> We're making history. That's crazy. Again, for something that didn't start out that way. It started out as we're, we're DJs. But again, you could see they incorporate a lot of the music yeah. into their comedy. Absolutely. Also. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, again, it's, it's trusting the process and believing in yourself. Mm-hmm. When we did, when we decided to, to do the item fantasy show, the TV show, we shot the pilot mm-hmm. and we rented the cinema of a sovereign. And we did a launch. We launched the idea. Who does that? <laughs> we don't have no booking yeah. for TV. We don't have any sponsor. Yeah. We launched the idea. 
and, and, and all they said, great degree. And by doing that, people bought into it. Mm-hmm. And for 10 years, it was sponsored. We switched from from digital to the flow. We, but we only had um, KFC there. We only had courts there. But it was sponsored for 10 years. History making. That's wild. And do you notice that you brought it up earlier that Oliver was the one that said, hey, bring these guys here. And then that's how you got your break out in London and stuff. And then you turned around and did the same thing. Yeah. You became the Oliver. Yeah. And gave them their shot. Yeah. And 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 they've been able to do that for other people as well. Mm-hmm. And that is how the, the cycle should really work. You pay it forward. Yeah. You know absolutely. I mean? Absolutely. Every generation must get open the door mm-hmm. for another generation. If we can't do that, then we're going to get stuck in like mm-hmm. a static state where nobody does anything for anybody and nobody's moving. You have to move forward because at some point we all grow old, we all age, and you have to think about what's happening for the next generation. Mm-hmm. Who's coming next? Punching that little fella. Who's coming next? What can you do? Yeah. You have to think here. I remember another one of your famous. This is one you see all over the place. This is between commentary, between poetry mm-hmm. and comedy. The Gate Man. The Gate Man. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, that that and that that for me is it's interesting because I I write a lot of poetry, mm-hmm. and the poem that I write that, that I put value on because I'm a Dennis Scott disciple, and I want you know, to use words in a way that Dennis Scott has a way with words that him just you know him, his famous poem Uncle Time is an old old man all the language put by the sea. Dennis Scott has a way to use words in a way that 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 channel history mm-hmm. and create imagery. And I want to do that too, you know. So with Gate Man, I was having fun commenting on what I see as a, a Jamaican phenomenon where people who not have no power in their life and get little to the power mm-hmm. or them abuse the power. And so that was, and, and that was my commentary on them people. We never expect it to be so popular. Up to this day, I'm like, why that point? Because you know what the popular do, I, I believe? Everybody can relate to that that person, that man who like everybody wants to say him have the power now, I'm gonna wield the power. Mm-hmm. It it never died. I have stopped doing it now because it's now owned by the community. Every year mm-hmm. in our national festival competition, some young person performed that poem for a festival. I did. I did see that. I did. Yeah. Every year I'm seeing it, I'm like, wow, is now mm-hmm. I won a medal for a festival doing a Miss Lowe poem. And Kitano doing my poem, winning, winning medal, I'm like, wow, I can't die out of heaven now. I'm, I, I'm, I'm done, I'm good, I've done my work. <laughs> it's a feel that people remember. A lot of these thoughts that come out of your mind, mm-hmm. you put the paper, and to see people's reaction They're, from thoughts that came out of my mind, you know what? Yeah, was. yeah. It, 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 it's one of the most fulfilling things I have experienced in my life. And I've watched my kids being born. I've watched my kids grow up. I've I've seen my students excel and become great. I've seen my former students become, you know, managers and directors and 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 working beyond what I could ever do. And I'm like, wow, awesome. But the feel of seeing your work, hearing your work come back at you from other voices all over the world. Nothing beat that, bro. Nothing, Again, because it's a that. thought that was in your mind. You yeah. just happened to put it in. Remember, 
you wrote down this. I know you wrote two books, two poetry books, I think. Yeah. These thoughts you put down, say it was, let's just take a guesstimate. Say it was a hundred poems you put down in both books. Mm -hmm. I can almost guarantee there's a, probably another 200 that was in your mind. Absolutely. That you never wrote, <laughs> never down. wrote down. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And some I wrote and rejected. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, so the seeds come alive like that. Man, there, there is just, it's awesome. It's just, um, it's, it's fulfilling and it's humbling as well. And it tells me that I cannot take it for granted. You know, I, one thing that I haven't mentioned, you know, a thing that many people don't even know is that I, I performed on Reggae Sunsplash and toured Europe um, as a backing vocalist and percussionist with Oko Onora. Okay, because I yeah. knew about the Sunsplash, but I didn't yeah. know you actually toured also. Yeah, man, we did the yeah. Jazz on France Festival in Angoulême in, in, in France and at the, the Mutuality in Paris with Oko. Um, Oko, and Oko is the founding father of Jamaican dub poetry, you know? And I was in his, in his band, you know, which for me, again, that, that part of history that I, I think is very, very important. Listen, you know. it's like you've lived so four many or lives. five different Because <laughs> yeah. remember, you toured as the, as the backup. Yeah. You toured as a duo. Yeah. You toured as yourself. Yeah. It was. It's like, how many things <laughs> is one man going to do that? <laughs> hey, that's why, that's why I've been trying for the last several years to retire mm -hmm. from doing stand-up comedy. I'm doing performances, and it's not because I think I'm, you know, I am at a certain height or a level. Mm -hmm. Just that I'm kind of like tired. I'm not tired physically, mm -hmm. but tired of just doing the, the stuff. Um, and also because I want to make space mm -hmm. to do other stuff. I want to make more space to to serve country and community. Mm -hmm. um, to I'm on several boards. I'm on Trenchstone Primary School Board of Management. I am founder for the Becker Foundation. I am a, now chairman for the Trenchstone Development Association that runs the Trenchstone Culture Yard. Um, I am I am member of the board for the Trenchstone Reading Center. Uh, I'm trying to create a Trenchstone marching band and, and my brother and I are trying to form a Trenchstone steel band. I want to create for young people in Trenchstone opportunity that they can can find their way. They will be the same way all they will find my way around and, and to avoid the crime pull. Navigate? How do I navigate? It's almost like you want to be their GPS. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. To find a way out of this, mm -hmm. you know, into something else. I want to make more time for that. To do that, I have to cut down the performances, mm -hmm. you know? So every year I say, I'm not doing more. You know, I'm going to have a more show. And then Roma called me to come to a show in Canada. I'm like, okay, Roma, I'll do it. Yeah. But, uh, okay. And because, because also, the sound of comedy routine stuff, invariably, I made a post about it recently on Facebook. And people are like, yeah, but work with it. When mm -hmm. I'm doing a comedy show, I'm invariably asked to be the clothing act. And they say, because you're the big man and you know, you're, you're the one but what I mean is I have to be at the show early and watch every act. Because they don't want to go there and repeat an, an, an idea or a concept. You won't repeat a joke because I don't tell jokes. I share stories. But if somebody has been beating one, then I want to go on the same content again. Yeah. So I have to watch everybody and say, okay, cut that. Okay, adapt that change. So I have to come early and watch everybody perform. Also, laughter is tiring, you know. When you laugh and laugh and laugh, your feet are hurting, your body tired and thing. Mm -hmm. 
When people, people have been laughing for two hours mm-hmm. and I'm going on, I have to now work extra hard to keep it up. I'm like, Bertrand, that's hard work. <laughs> I want to I wanna, I wanna work smarter than harder. Yeah. You know, so I, I'm like, okay. Well, it has never failed me. Knock on wood, I give God thanks. But I'm conscious of the fact that it, it makes the work harder. Mm-hmm. You know, but, you know, I'm doing so much, I want to make space to do a little bit more. You know, and then I'll rest when I die. I hear you because it seems like giving back is your, that's your heart and soul. It's like you want to implant what you felt as a child from Miss Welsh, falling mm-hmm. in love with these words. Yeah. You know what I mean? Getting to meet Miss Lou and all this. You're trying to gather all your experiences in a, in almost like a, like an SD card. Yeah. And implant. Yes. Perfectly put. Yeah. Perfectly put. I'm going to thief that. Yeah, 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 that's it. Mm-hmm. Load it on, and it's kind of okay. Mm-hmm. Take it around with the young people. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I want yeah, to I, I could definitely see that young people, trench town, the arts, learning, words is your heart. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. And trench town has so much to offer. When you drive through trench town now, anybody who is able to do that, you enter for a car. Let me get a quick geography history of trench town. Talk to me. So trench town is a small community. And it's um, it's literally it's like a a, a rectangle, right? And the if you think of it, uh, you think of two roads that run parallel. Think of a ladder, and the two the two long planks. One is West Road, and one is Collismith Drive. Mm-hmm. And across it now, the other little steps are fourteen steps. Mm-hmm. First, the fourteenth street that roughly trends down. That's the ladder, down there, right? Mm-hmm. So to the west of it is Denham Town. Lower end and top end, Jonestown. So if you think of a ladder, and the ladder has 14 prongs, and, and from 1 to 7, on the, uh, outside of the, 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 that 1 to 7 is, is Denham Town, and outside of the, 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 the 8 to 14, Jonestown. On the other end now, on the eastern end, is the 1 to 7 is Rosetown and Whitfield Town. So Trenchtown is just that ladder in the middle of there, so, right? First to 14th Street, the, 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 the steps going up. If you think about it now, Bob Marley sang in 1974. Mm-hmm. Bob Marley sang um, um, the song that said, um, Natty Dread. I walk up to first street, and then I walk up to second street to see. Then I try down to third street, and then I, and he sings about this, 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 this street, like a travelogue. And he ends with, I've got to reach seventh street. He's not going to further. Mm, that's where he ended. That's where he ended in the, in the song. Mm-hmm. But the trench song really goes from from first to fourteenth street. But in seventy four, Bob Marley sang that song and he stopped at Seventh Street. By seventy six, mm-hmm. the then Minister of Housing, who was then Anthony Spaulding, built a wall, a, a, a housing scheme across West Road at Seventh Street and block it. The Seventh Street is now the trench song now block at Seventh Street. And that's how they created Riemann Jungle. Okay, that's a divide. That's like basically the border. The dividing line between Riemann Jungle, PMP and GLP, warring factions. So, so Bob was channeling, Bob was prophetically marking, but it it, it uncanny how Bob could have seen that. Because that's not what it was 74. And the world was built built 76. Exactly. And that created division. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm... and by then now, first to seventh, 
in the Rima. Mm-hmm. And seventh to fourteenth is jungle. And then we had a bitter war in the seventies. Right? That's trench sound. Mm-hmm. Right? And I, I, I tell people, I'm thinking that that that, that aren't seen. There's a song by Jody Phil Culture. What a Liban Bamba, yeah. We need two seventh class. Yes. Now, in all of our interpretation, we're seeing it as as Jody Phil uh, channel Garvey's prophecy. Mm-hmm. That something big will happen when in the year 77, mm-hmm. when the seventh class, that's the year I left high school, by the way. That's in my seventh class. But in my head, how I see it mm-hmm. is another way of seeing what happened because for several years, those two sevens clashed. First to 7th Street and 8th to 14th Street. Seven and seven, yes. Yeah. Clashing. Clashing bitter political war mm-hmm. over, 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 war, over other people's lives, right? Political war because by 76, 77, mm-hmm. if you live between 1st and 7th Street and you know, labor rights, you have a cut. Mm. If you live from 8 to 49 people, you have a cut. And that's how they, that's how they created these political enclaves. Mm. So the two sevens did clash in Trenchtown. Wow. <laughs> but you see how, again, you're able to see things and synthesize something out of the atmosphere and look the other way. Because look, what you're saying makes total sense, boss. And that's why I said Trenchtown is a site for exile. Exodus and pilgrimage. Mm-hmm. The Exodus happened in the 30s when everybody moved from country come, come find life at Trenchtown, which was then Kingston's first squatter settlement. Mm-hmm. That's how Sidella Booker brought her son, Bob, to Trenchtown. She was part of that Exodus, a look life, a left country come find life at town. And that Exodus happened. That's how my grandparents went there from Manchester to create life at Trenchtown. Mm-hmm. Exodus, rural to urban. Exodus. The Exodus happened. Then the 70s political war, the exile happened. People won't let them out because they were now purging to create labor only, PMP only enclaves. And the exiles happened. Mm-hmm. But throughout that, there was a pilgrimage. Martin Maplana with Rastafarian doctrine, um, carrying Vernon Carrington with 12 tribe, the Rasta sect. And the reggae music, people were going there, just the heart of pushing there because there's something special there. Trench and that Town. pilgrimage still happens. Mm-hmm. It's the reason why tourists, it's the reason why now Trenchtown is the most in demand place for Airbnb in Jamaica. Mm-hmm. That pilgrimage to come to the place that Bob Marley sings about, you want to know, go and experience that. That's Trenchtown, yeah. Exodus, Exile, and Pilgrimage. Said like <laughs> Mr. Trenchdog, you understand. I got a couple more for you because this conversation is crazy. And you're, again, you being on television from 10 to you now being, you said you turned 60 or you're about to turn I'm 63. 63. Yeah. That's, that's what, 53 <laughs> years, okay, in the art form. So even if we had a seven hour conversation, we, we couldn't. No. So this is our first of many conversations. Uh, I got a couple more for you. Yeah. The other day, I heard you tell a story called The Day I Died. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you actually won a first prize. Yeah. And it was a poetry cut. Storytelling competition. Storytelling yeah. competition. What's your story, Jamaica? Yes. By Deborah Hare Art, yeah. 
Tell me about that story because I know all the stories had to be real. So clearly this is a real story. Yeah. The day I died. Talk to us about that. So it is one of several stories about my life with Auntie Becca. Mm-hmm. Auntie Becca who, who, who raised me. Um, and that's one of so many <laughs> Auntie Becca stories. Oh my God. Ah. And so my brother Aston, so, so, so I have a brother Aston because I've been talking about Aston a lot. Aston is my, my, my closest friend. Mm-hmm. And Aston, um, he, cause if you look, if you look at how um, my life is, my father has had nine children with six different mothers. I am the fifth of that nine. My mother has six children with five different fathers. Mm-hmm. I am number five. Aston is the only brother I share with the same mother and father. So me I tell brother by father side. Mm-hmm. Me show by uh, mother, brother by mother side. Charlene, father side. Aston is my only full brother that was shared the same mother and father. It's the only time, so, so the only, my f- father and mother only had two children with one person mm-hmm. and, and that to be, to, to be us. And we're almost identical, Aston and I. And so I grew up, until I went to Excel High School, I was never a person. Mm-hmm. I was part of Aston and Keith. You hear them say, that for Shirley, that for Jean, that for Derek, that for Juno, that for Aston and Keith. Yeah. If Aston does something wrong, then beat Aston and Keith. <laughs> <laughs> so I was always part of yeah. a duo, yeah. Aston and Keith. Mm-hmm. When I went to Excelsior now, I became my own person. Because we went to the same primary school. So Trenton Primary, Aston and Keith. And then he went to Trenton, Trenton High School, and I went to Excelsior. And that's when we kind of like, you know, separate. He's two years my, my senior. So, so I was always follow back Aston anyway. I can play a few guitar notes because Aston play guitar, and I watch him. I was never taught to play the guitar. I just watch Aston and play guitar. Aston left-handed. And because he's left-handed, I bat left-hand because I watch him. I was like his shadow, yeah. right? Anything, anything with follow back Aston. And, but he was, he was, he was, he's gifted with, with music, mm-hmm. right? He was into books like I was. I was the quote-unquote Bright one, yeah. right? But he was much smarter than me. He was not book smart, right? Yeah. right? So he was in cadet at Trenton Comprehensive High School, and cadet at a camp in in somewhere up 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 Newcastle or something. But when what more that at school give holiday, he would head to Montego Bay, where my mom or my mother, mother lived, because him learned from early. Say, you know, you're a tone man. Montego Bay girls like you. Them gang, it gone girling. Yeah. That's his thing. Me not into books, I mean, okay. So he had gone to Montego Bay for, for, for the summer holidays and them, them sent for call him for cadet camp. Mm-hmm. And they said, I must go take the train, go to Montego Bay, tell Aston to come and me can stay with the summer at Montego Bay with my mother. That was the plan. Never want go, but you don't tell Auntie no. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she sent me and I took early morning took the train heading to Montego Bay and the train derailed it was 74 was the verf, was a was a big news item mm-hmm. um, train derailed but nobody, one lady died one lady tried to jump with her coach and it fell on her and thing but the news got around and the train the train derailed across the, 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 the Duane Bridge just by six miles there and auntie was at the time selling fish on the roadside and she heard the train crash so she packed up her her fish cart and went to look in for she tell me go to my data as far as she's concerned. Mm-hmm. They went to the area that they 
people who were injured were taken to a different hospital. She went to every hospital. I'm not there. She went to the scene of the crash and saw that there was an overturned coach and she decided that I would be under the wreckage and I'm dead. So on the same telegram to Montego Bay, train crash, keep dead, come quickly. Telegram no related to Canada to my father. Train crash, keep dead, come quickly. All this time what happened was that my my coach hadn't derailed. Mm -hmm. it, it, it was still standing. They sent another um, engine and pulled back that back to the station. And I'm trying, trying, trying to get a refund. All day waiting, no refund not happening. Yeah. Fell asleep waiting, no refund. We go back, it's now after dusk, darkness, fall, take the bus, and they mark the trench down. During all this time, they have decided that I am dead. News starts spread, said train crash, keep dead, all together. I came off the bus at the corner of West Road and Third Street and was met by. I couldn't decipher a single word. Virgin, me float. Me float. Upon a night of chaos and confusion from the bus stop to my yard. Which of my yard? The yard full of people. Fish are fry. Chocolate tea boil. Night night. I walked into my own a night night. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to me. Listen to me. <laughs> I was thought to be dead. Trust me. And you hear the story about the prodigal son. Mm -hmm. Oh, they killed the fatted calf. Well, the prodigal son didn't get killed with beaten. <laughs> but, but it's not my fault, though. Yeah, but you make me waste the money and fry fish. I you not dead. Not even like a scratch. <laughs> you forget beaten. That was the response of auntie. Trust me. No, it's not my boss before you hug me up and say, yeah. yeah. Thank God. No. Yeah. Not father about cosmology, <laughs> not hug up and kiss up and thank God you're alive. That was Auntie's way of dealing with things. Kill your beaten. Yeah. Boss. And, the, and it's funny because mm. you, know, you, you said that. Mm -hmm. um, no hug up and love up and oh God, you're happy, you're mm -hmm. safe. No, that wasn't Auntie's style at all. Mm -hmm. And I remember feeling bad about the fact that I was doing well in school. Mm -hmm. I never got any, oh, good job. Oh, good, doing well. Oh, I'm yeah. proud of you. No, it's more, you're lucky. No money now is. And I kill it, beaten. That was that I got for getting an A. Yeah. You're, oh, you're lucky. You're damn lucky. But you're, 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 there was never a good, yeah. no. <laughs> Trust me. But you know what? It's now that you could fast forward years later and look at it and you could laugh. You know yeah. what I mean? Especially you knowing how you really felt. It's like, you think you're doing something good. Yeah. And you're you're gonna get probably special dinner or she'll say I'm proud, yeah. I love you or whatever. No, and no. the only thing you're getting is a warning that you're not getting licks. Yeah. Because you're doing good. Yeah. So yeah. it's almost like you're almost about to get licks anyhow. Yeah, it's a reverse yes. thing of you know, you're lucky. Yeah. You're, you're not you getting escape a lick this time yeah. because you did well. If not, you're being yeah. praised. And I tell people all the while that that's how I was raised, mm -hmm. and I have to learn from that, mm -hmm. that I can repeat that with my children. You have to be able to, to acknowledge when they're doing well and say you're doing well. Mm -hmm. and, and I have never, I never grew up on, I never get happy birthday. The first time I had my, a birthday party, mm -hmm. me keep it myself. 
hmm. when I turned 16. Yeah. I met one birthday party. I never, had a, I never ever, ever heard no, I love you, I'm proud of you, oh, you're a good ever. Got it from my teacher, Miss Welch. Miss Welch. Was my very first, I'm proud of you, you're doing well, I love you. Miss Welch said to me years ago, you have great teeth. You must keep smiling. Yeah. I'll not forget that. Because at home, there was no, there was no acknowledgement. There's, there's no encouragement. There's no empowerment. So, as a teacher, I have to do this with my children. As a community worker, I have to do it. I have to spend my time to young people, hey, you're good. Mm-hmm. Be good. Stay good because you're good. You remember that emptiness and you knew that Miss Welsh filled it. Yeah. So then you now, you're doing for other people, you're now Mr. Welsh. Yeah. You understand? Yeah. Whatever yeah. she did for other people, because again, you don't know the circumstances that they're going through at home. Yeah. And you're just trying to encourage them to be the best person that they could be. And you understood from, you had good examples what was happening at home yeah. and what was happening at school. Yeah, absolutely. You understand? So absolutely. you know what you felt in both scenarios. So you know what was going on at school made you feel good. So then you're trying to put that into your students also. Absolutely. You absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I'm on the board for Trenton Primary School. I'm the deputy chairman of the school board. And it's the reason why I can't leave Trenton Primary School because I'm doing it in honor of Miss Wells. And, and I see currently at Trenton Primary School, mm-hmm. there's a Miss Pence in grade three. Yeah. Oh, she's being Miss Wells for those kids as well. And I'm like, I have to support what she's doing. Yeah. Because I know what it did for me, it will do for those young people as well. You understand the difference. Yeah, man. Amazing career, did a lot of good stuff. But then there was some point in your career where you decided to, first you went through Rastafari, but then you decided to really give your life to the Lord, Mm -hmm. become a devout Christian. Was there something that was happening in your life while you wanted to go that way? Or was a series of things where that was just, this is just the time now to do this? I think it's a combination of all of the above. Mm -hmm. Um, there's always a search. There's always a yearning for 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 living a life that has more meaning. Meaning that was more meaningful than just living for every day. Clearly, life can be just about just just living for you. Mm-hmm. There's that. But there's also there's, 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 I have my antenna open at all times. I think to hear from the universe, to hear from a higher voice. What am I to do mm-hmm. next? What Am I doing my best? Am I being my best self? And and is this what I'm intended to be doing? Mm. And I said, and I said it. And and then a series of serendipitous things that happened where um again performances. I was asked to perform for a church. Mm-hmm. I went there. Um I heard a message, it kinda touched me. Um a, a sister in who was very involved in theatre. Um, and from the PR angle, Scarlett Bihari, mm-hmm. she died. I went to her funeral, and and I just saw oh, she was a beautiful young woman, beautiful young woman, with just a wonderful spirit and so on. And she just went, pew, mm-hmm. she had breast cancer just took her out um, suddenly. And I thought, you know, what's the meaning of life really and truly, you know? And and then I remember, you know, I'm living here in Toronto, and and I I get this sense that I want to go back home. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanna, I just feel yeah. as if I wasn't, turned it wasn't happening for me. And then my wife still think that you know, I should, I, did, I didn't try hard enough mm-hmm. to make life in Toronto. But it just, and, and I kept feeling as if I had to be 
starting over, starting over. So I, you know, I, the spirit just called me back to Jamaica. I remember leaving Scarlett's funeral the Thursday, mm-hmm. and I called Bella, and Virgin Bella was then a full-time minister, and said, you know, I think you know, I want to, I want you to baptize me, and I think I'm now ready to, to move my life to that level of mm-hmm. serving Christ. And I did that, and you know, and, I, and, I, and then then went to that place where I was trying to find the right place where I could serve, you know, and I I went to a church. Greater Works International Fellowship, GWIF. And the minister there, Apostle Andrew Scott, you know, was a, you know, a, you know, a very popular Jamaican minister because of his, you know, his, his, his works. Mm-hmm. Um, he, um, his Greater Works is the name of the church and he does some greater work. Yes, I know what you're talking about. Yes, yes. You know, he's sometimes very controversial. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ended up there and then I, and that thing that I tell people all the while, something that I witnessed there, indisputable, mm-hmm. I saw God at work. Mm-hmm. There's no question about that. Me not argue with nobody about mm-hmm. theology mm-hmm. and belief. I'm saying I experienced mm-hmm. and saw, observed things that I can only explain as God at work. You're not concerned with what they think, what they no. might think. No, I know what I saw. I know what I felt. I know what understood. Yeah, some things, in front of me. some things are unexplainable, mm-hmm. except for a God at work, and that's what happened with with, with me. And I, and I decided to just, you know, that it was a decision. Mm-hmm. Many people think that you know, it's a it's a it's a, a magical thing up in their head. I made a conscious decision. Say it's time to start serving God, mm-hmm. and and that's 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 where I took my life. You know, I'm currently worshiping with Family Word and Worship. The church led by the then the charismatic and wonderful minister Junior Tucker, who him and I can relate. Okay. Because Junior Tucker, the Trenchstone man, is a man who made it in dance hall mm-hmm. and and understand the challenge with your former self as an entertainer and your attempt to serve God. And him you know? leaving at the height of his career. Yes. 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 So so I can relate to him and he can relate to me. But above all that is the is the understanding that in one of the few Jamaican churches where the first time I went there, I was the only man wearing a jacket suit. <laughs> because you can walk in there as you are and you're okay. You can stay. If you walk as you are in some church, they might go up to the take off your hat or whenever in a church, at Fallen Worship Church, you walk in there as you are and you are embraced and loved and accepted. Render your heart, not your yeah. garment. The church, Come as you are. The church motto is, no perfect people allowed. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I'm happy there, and I'm serving God, and and I've, you know, um, Pastor Judah Tucker has, of recent time, been asking me to, every now and again, share the word mm-hmm. in church, and, you know, I'm humbled by that, and I, you know, I take it not for granted, and I, you know, I, you know, I hope I'm, I'm, by doing what I'm doing, helping somebody else to find their way. But me now go go there and beat the body over them head with the Bible, and you know, you must come and say, well, no, you know, I you hope share, that, yeah. Share your experiences, share your thoughts, and hopefully that catches the person. Yeah, man. Life, lifestyle evangelism. Yeah. I want to be a star, but not star like, you know, celebrity star, star as in S, my body is a sanctuary. T, my life is a testimony. 
A, I am an ambassador for the kingdom, and R, I am ready. Ready to serve, ready to live, ready to be an example. <laughs> so you did all this, you changed over, you were living in Toronto, you, you went back home, you wanted to change your life and stuff. How did it affect your career, whether in a negative way or a positive way? I, you know, I, don't, I don't abide by negativity. Mm -hmm. so nothing to me is ever negative. Negativity is one way of spinning it. So I tell students all the while who come to me and say, Sir, the exam has stressed me. I'm like, wrong word. Mm -hmm. You're mispronouncing the word. It's not stress. It's stretch. <laughs> because what you say is stress, it's not stretch you. And stress will expand your capacity. So take on, take on the stretch. So it's not to me, they don't like nothing negative. Um, moving back home and still living between Jamaica and Toronto, navigating the, the, the two spaces, um, and give me a chance to do more. Um, I am working full time at Edmund College. I'm teaching, and I can influence young young theater artists. Um, I I served for five years in the School of Arts Management and Humanities. So that means that because I'm teaching arts management and humanities, the students are ready to study dance or music or visual arts or drama. I teach all of them. So I, I, I get a chance to touch the next generation, teaching them things like ethics. You know, yes, you're a singer, you're a dancer, you're a musician, you're an actor, but what are your belief systems? And how, how does your sense of right and wrong influence your art creativity? Because we have this assumption that artists are always crazy, that artists are always drugged out, that artists live some crazy life, mm -hmm. that artists' sense of wrong and right can be warped, and we, are, and we have whole of artists in that prison that people will think they see, an example. So, Use them as an example. Yes. Yeah, so, oh, as an artist, as a creative, how do you understand yourself? How do you understand right and wrong? And how does those two things connect to keep you doing your good work? So I'm able to do those kind of things. And therefore, it's, it's positive. I'm seeing the new generation, and I'm seeing people who I taught now teaching and creating. I mean, a great example is Maja Bless. Or a young man named Omal Wright, who knows Maja Bless. Omal Wright, I met Omal Wright in the area of crew where I used to work with them in the community. And then, and then because of our influence, he went to school of drama and he's now a, a drama teacher, dub poet, musician. And his children, his two kids are, people in Jamaica, they, um, they call them super kids. Yeah. Ngozi and Tafari Wright. Okay. They were the two kids who were first to address parliament, talking about. Um, Kids' rights, mm -hmm. and, and Omar just got a prize at Outstanding Father of the Year, and I'm like, I taught this young man, you know, and I helped him get in school of drama, mm -hmm. and, and he's now doing great works. His kids are now paving away, and I'm like, I can claim a small part of contributing to that. To me, <laughs> that's what yeah. I'm doing. You know, that 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 so made me happy. Positive. That made me happy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. A lot of positive. Last one I have for you here for this edition of our conversation. Come mm -hmm. on, you're back in the place. Still got a lot <laughs> All right. here. We just lost Bello a mm -hmm. couple months ago. Yeah. All right. Do you remember a conversation, something you guys did where he said to you that would remain in your mind for the rest of your life? Oh my God, there's so much. There's so much. Because it's Bello and I were, we spent so much time together. Mm-hmm. On our first overseas trip, we were roommates in Barbados in 1981, Carafesta, right? And 
Bella life is not about Bella life. Bella has been completely consistent with living as he understands being directed by higher power, by higher force. When we went to Carefest at 81, the opening ceremony, they had the march pass, the, the opening ceremony of Carefest at 81, he was selected to be in the march pass to hold the carry the Jamaica flag, and then tall stature, to be like six foot tall, you know. And then they made slim to you know, them, was the perfect brother. And he was selected to be in the, in the march pass. And the day of the, the, the opening ceremony, him say, him, him, him spirit say, him wasn't go, because mm-hmm. for some whatever reason. He stayed in his room. I went to the opening ceremony, sat in the stands, and vexed. Or me, me can't get the march pass, but him get a chance. And don't do it because him said, God said, yeah, I mustn't go. That kind of obedience, that's what Bella lived his entire life. Strict obedience to what he understood to be mm-hmm. the voice of God. And that for me is the is enduring lesson from Bella's life. Him live a life of complete obedience as he understands it mm-hmm. to God. Me might not agree with God to talk to him, but he thinks so, and he might act in obedience. Mm-hmm. And that's how he has lived, he has lived his life. And, and I remember him, when he did Third World Cup, he was a devout Christian then. Mm-hmm. Bella became a Christian in second year of School of Drama from 1979. From back then? He was a Christian from then, yeah. 79, right? And, but he was always like, I have my Christian life, mm-hmm. and I'm devout, but I have my life in theatre, mm-hmm. and they don't have to clash. He did Third World Cup, and he had to say the F word mm-hmm. in the film. Many Christians condemned him. I thought, yeah, Christian, yeah, of course. And to me, a one, a one F word, <laughs> but he, he said the word, mm-hmm. and he was very, he was very simple. He, he, he said it very simply. He said, "I, Winston Bell, didn't curse. The character, the cop, cursed. I can separate the two. If you think I cursed, then I think that I was the character. Mm-hmm. I'm not the character. I'm the actor. The actor simply was a vehicle for the character. And he's very clear about that." And to me, that, that, that we are framing things for me, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. And therefore, you know, and me think God is bigger than those small things. God is bigger than here. God is bigger than doctrine. God is bigger than where I sat there Sunday. God is bigger than where I said, Father of the Holy Spirit or whatever. God is bigger than those things. But man make those things so big, it become a it barrier. Out, yes. God is bigger than those things. So, and Bella exemplified that. He lived that in every way. You know, and and I've watched him. People can't say what well, anymore. I say about him. I've watched him close up. We share room several times. I've watched him close up. This man lived for God. And if if he played turn of heaven, then nobody played turn of heaven because miss him life and he lived the life. He did not talk the talk. He walked the walk. Hello, Bella. Bella would give up his last cent. You know? Bella was a man who. Never had no great material wealth. Mm-hmm. He was giving, 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 giving all the time. He might have treat every year. We find things to give him. He find it. He would take off his shoes and give somebody if they want a pair of shoes and walk bare barefoot. That was the way he lived his life. No joke about it. So his life was a lesson for me. His life was an example for me of that of that star. He was always seeing body in the sanctuary. No smoke, no drink. No, I mean, in living life like that, clean, you know. So him the ultimate. Yeah. Christian style for me. Sanctuary, testimony, ambassador, and ready. Yeah. Yeah, man. Mr. Blocker. Well, 
thanks and pleasure, man. Anything Thank you, boss. You understand? Anything. I knew this conversation was going to be great, but I didn't understand it was going to be this <laughs> epic of a conversation. And then so much, so much unsaid. Listen, <laughs> that, that's why I said this is the first of, of many to go. Oh, man. You understand? Pleasure, man. Pleasure. If they want to check you out on social media, follow you, see what you're doing or anything, leave some info where they could check out, leave some big ups, anything right now while I get you out of here for the first installment of our conversation. I'm on Facebook, um, Owen Ellis. Just look, just Google the name Owen Blacker Ellis. Owen Augustus Ellis. A-G-U-S-T-U-S. I am on, I'm on Facebook at Owen Ellis and at I Augustus Ellis. And I'm on YouTube. I'm on YouTube at Trenchstone Man, at Trenchstone Man. Um, Owen Augustus Ellis, at Trenchstone Man. I'm on Instagram. Same, same thing, Owen Ellis, Owen Augustus Ellis, or I Augustus Ellis, Trenchstone Man, I'm there. YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Google me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Any big ups? Oh, my God. I have to big up. So, if I, start, if I start, I might not get too far, but I would big up Oko Onora, Oko Nazba Ozala Onora. For, for being a pioneer in the poetry. I have a big up, um, big dub poets, the voice of people, my sister who walked on, who passed on, Jean Binterbreeze. Because Jean Binterbreeze and Bella and I were a part of that set at School of Drama. And I'm big up them people. I have to big up you know, my son, who's also a dub poet, Jawara, and martial artist. Mm -hmm. um, big up my, my Toronto peeps, Dibby Young, um, Roma Spencer, you know, my sister, Charlene, Danny Peart, after big up, if I start, you know, I'm going to not, you know. <laughs> After big up my family, my church family, family word and words, the pastor, Junior Tucker, honor and respect, big man. Yeah, man. And there's more. <laughs> well, we'll leave them for the next conversation. Yes. So I'm going to remember this group that you bigged up now. Yeah. And we're not going to big them up next conversation. No. We're going to big up the All next the others. You understand? Indeed. So it's like you started from one to seven. Yeah. Next conversation, we're going from eight to 14. 14. Yeah, there's a trench on it. <laughs> Love our respect, man. All the while, Mr. Blacker, all right? Every time. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is Muscle, and this has been another Two Line Music Huts Entertainment Report podcast, and we are out for now. Just for now. This podcast is brought to you by www.twolinedmusica.com.